Welcome to Subrosa. A podcast about security, human rights, conflict and law with an Australian and Southeast Asian focus. Zabi Missouri coordinates the Afghanistan Project for Physicians for Human Rights International Forensic Program and is a human rights defender with extensive experience in Afghanistan, Australia and the US. In 2008, Sabi returned to Afghanistan to pursue human rights work. He spent two years working at the Afghanistan Independent Human Rights Commission, specialising in transitional justice and also consulted for Physicians for Human Rights as the Afghanistan Program Assistant, where he facilitated the mass gravesite team and basic human osteology training. He is also one of the founders of the Afghanistan Forensic Science Organisation, the first non-governmental forensic science organisation in Afghanistan, and is also one of the founding members of the Transitional Justice Coordination Group, a network of civil society and victims groups active in the area of transitional justice. In this episode, we discuss the development of forensic training in Afghanistan in the process of documenting and preserving evidence in mass grave and massacre exhumations, an important process enabling the presentation of proper evidence in prosecuting perpetrators of violence, some of whom are still alive and in power, and ensuring dignity to victims of violence and their families who are able to find peace through the proper burial of their loved ones. We also learn how hymen testing emerged as a forensics issue and how the Afghanistan Forensic Science Association, or AFSA, has worked to counter this testing process by proving that it is a scientifically invalid process. We also learn how AFSA gained the support of the ulama in advocating for the total ban of hymen and virginity testing in Afghanistan. Finally, Zabi describes major changes that have occurred in post-invasion Afghanistan and highlights gaps in development, including in the higher education sector, which Zabi describes as integral to the future development of the country. Thanks for joining us, Zabi. Thank you. So you've just come back from Afghanistan. What were you doing there? I was in Afghanistan uh, recently, and we uh, had a training for uh, uh, Afghan professionals, especially uh, police, uh, uh, forensic doctors, uh, and other sectors of the judiciary on how to uh, document mass graves and also on how to exhume mass graves and uh, uh, human osteology and forensic anthropology. So in the process, uh, while we are conducting the training on forensic anthropology, meaning that if they counter a mass grave where the human remains, especially uh, skeletal remains, are uh, visible, they can understand that it is uh, uh, it's human remains versus that it's not animal. And also, they once they, uh, the process of how to document uh, the, 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 the site as a crime scene, uh, so in, and also on how to analyze the remains, meaning that once you exhume the remains, uh, making sure that they are analyzed properly. So to find out, especially starting with gender, uh, uh, 
gender issues that whether they are male or female and the, the age determination and how old the skeletal remains are and also uh, trauma to the uh, to the skeletal remains uh, whether they were killed as a by there are any visible signs of uh, of trauma to the bones and what sort of trauma they are and uh, there are many mass graves in Afghanistan that's the, one of the reasons that we have been working to document and register uh, the mass graves that are in Afghanistan uh, since the start of conflict uh, in 1978 uh, until now there has been many massacres uh, which the victims have been uh, buried in mass mass graves and most of those mass graves have not been uh, registered or are known uh, very well to the public uh, so we wanted to make sure that we do uh, document them and register them and so there is scientifically evidence uh, that they do exist and which organization is this through by the way uh, uh, we did it uh, through Physicians for Human Rights. Uh, the training was conducted by Physicians for Human Rights with uh, with support of the Afghanistan Forensic Science Organization. Yeah. So, and one of the other objectives of the mass grave exhumation was, which was one of the first proper exhumations uh, uh, that we conducted in Afghanistan. Uh, so, the member of the Afghanistan Forensic Afghanistan Forensic Science Organization. Uh, have the ability in the in the future to independently exhume other graves. So they, after doing this uh, forensic anthropology training and that exhumation, now those members they have the capacity to, in the future, if there is a need, they can exhume uh, a mass grave. Obviously, we don't have the uh, identification facilities in Afghanistan, such as the, there is no DNA facilities in Afghanistan, but uh, they can work on other uh, identification methods, such as uh, 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 various ways, but the only thing that they are missing at the moment is uh, they don't have the facilities for DNA. Mm. And um, how do you begin the investigation process leading, to you, leading you to these grave sites? We uh, usually identify, we before we are uh, looking for mass graves, obviously we have uh, a sort of general information where the big massacres and the crimes have happened. There are some no known, very well-known incidences that most people know in the country. Uh, and also there are other smaller incidences that, that where it's not unknown. So we go to, to the communities, and before we even start uh, our investigation, we consult with local people that what it is that we are doing. Uh, and so we explain to them that if there is a grave on how to deal with these mass graves, because in the past, some of the mass graves have been unintentionally destroyed by local people, that they thought that they can dig the graves themselves and they can look for their fathers, missing fathers or missing brothers, which in the process they have destroyed all the evidence. So we try to educate them that that's not how they should deal with the mass graves because once they dig themselves the grave out, they cannot, they don't have the capacity uh, 
And there are some graves that have been intentionally destroyed by the perpetrators that yeah. they want to get rid of the evidence. Yeah. So the other reason is that there are so many missing people in Afghanistan yeah. that the families are waiting. And the communities, they contact us uh, uh, in some occasions that they say we have family members who are buried. We know where they are buried. So they, we want your assistance to come and exhume them so we can have a closure that we know where my father or my brother is buried. Uh, and so I, I can have an individual grave for them mm. and I can bury them with dignity that they should have had. How many people are missing in Afghanistan? Approximately. It's very hard to uh, to know the exact numbers, but it's in the thousands. Mm. Um, probably we, there was a list of, well, there was only one list that officially has been released, and that was released by the Dutch police uh, wow. from the communist time, and that covers only a period of a few months, and that was five, close to 5,000 people in that list. And, and that's the, missing people reporting... The, they were missing people that they were killed by the communist regime, and they had a list of them, so that they, those people were executed during that period of time in uh, in the early years of the 1970, in the late 70s. Mm. Uh, there are other lists that are not available, but uh, there was another list of 12,000 that was also published by the communist regime, but that's not available in the public at the moment. But there are more than, yeah, you can say uh, thousands of, yeah. tens of thousands of people are still missing. Yeah. And how do you ensure that those responsible for inflicting this violence on the Afghan people don't interfere with the exhumation process? And how do you ensure your own safety in conducting this very risky line of work? It is very hard. We have to be very careful. Uh, there are, we have to take our security of our staff and ourselves so not to get killed in the process. Mm. But there is obviously uh, a risk when we are uh, uh, going to the sites and doing the mass registration because some of the perpetrators of those crimes are still in power and alive. Uh, there are some graves that we we know where they are, and because that area is are still controlled by the perpetrators, we cannot even go there, yeah. and so we have avoided because the perpetrators has warned us that if you come to the area, we cannot guarantee your security yeah. as a sort of as a threat. Uh, so we we avoid going to that, those areas, and there are some areas that are in the conflict zones where Taliban and other groups are active, so we cannot travel to those areas. But there are uh, some other areas that where the security is relatively okay, where the perpetrators are no longer have the same power as they used to in yeah. the past, so we can deal with that. Hmm. But there's always risks involved with each one of them. And what are some of the ways that you try to mitigate the risks associated with the work? We, the, the best uh, way to mitigate is to uh, communicate with the local community, mm -hmm. to with the local officials, to let them know that what we are doing, and also to explain to them 
what we have been focusing is we have been focusing on uh, registration and documentation and uh, uh, to finding out the facts uh, what has happened and also we've been focusing with the repatriation of the bodies or giving dignity to the vic victims who are buried so that, that the families can one day uh, find out uh, where those missing people are and they have not been destroyed and uh, Yes, one, one of the mass graves uh, that we worked uh, in Kunar province uh, has been where the victims have fled Afghanistan uh, and sought asylum in, in Europe. And uh, so we were contacted by, uh, by the officials of that country where they have started an investigation uh, to, uh, for the crimes that he has committed in Afghanistan. So we have provided our evidence uh, to to that country uh, that we because we take GPS location, we take forensic photography, uh, we do sketches of the grave where they are geographically. Uh, so those evidence uh, has shown uh, to was presented to the prosecution uh, that the, those graves are uh, evidence of the crimes that that. Uh, person has committed. And what happened to him? Uh, he has been arrested. He's uh, been arrested and his trial is ongoing. Okay. And how important is the development of forensic capability towards contributing to peace in the long term in Afghanistan? Uh, the reason we established uh, the Afghanistan Forensic Science Organization was that there was no focus uh, to develop the capacity of forensics in Afghanistan. Uh, and uh, we uh, found that we realized that this is a gap for, in order for Afghan judiciary to have a functioning uh, system, they need uh, forensics to be used as, uh, uh, as evidence uh, in court. So at the moment, there is only one department, which is called the Forensic uh, Medicine Department, uh, and they're the only department that they can, uh, they are working to provide forensic evidence to the judiciary. But the problem is that uh, they don't have any capacity, and the uh, Afghan education system does not train forensic scientists. So who the, the individuals who are working as forensic experts are mainly doctors, that they are MDs, medical doctors, that they graduate as doctors, uh, not as, as forensic specialists. Yeah, right. And then they go and work as forensic, they call themselves as forensic doctors. Mm. So the Afghan universities have not been teaching forensics until now. And so we have been trying to not only uh, work uh, on uh, mass graves and other issues such as torture and virginity testing, we have been focusing on developing the forensic capacities at universities. So the Afghanistan Forensic Science Organization partnered with one of the private universities, Gauhar Shot private universities, so, and we are teaching uh, 
forensic science in their law faculty. So once the the, uh, the law graduates go and work as defense lawyers or as prosecutors in the legal system, they have the understanding of how important forensics evidence are for the uh, for the courts. So we we are trying to uh, also work with the Ministry of Higher Education to update their forensic curriculum. Uh, they only teach uh, forensic as one as a subject at the medical faculties and at the law faculties. And how about the Afghan National Police? Do they have much capability in the field of forensic sciences? The, after 2001, uh, when the, the government was new and there was no police uh, or security forces, uh, the focus of the government and the international uh, coalition was to, to build the quantity of Afghan police so they were recruiting anyone who wanted to join the police mm. without uh, without realizing their capacities. Okay. So they were focusing on the quantity to increase the numbers, and the majority of police were illiterate right. uh, police force, so they cannot even read or write. Uh, so that, that's one of the problems with the police. That they're, they're still, the police force are uh, illiterate, uh, a lot of them, and... Also, the police, uh, which their job should be maintaining security or providing uh, law enforcement in the cities or in the air country areas, but they have been fighting. The, the, the majority of the times they are fighting the Taliban, so they are fighting insurgency. And that's one of the reasons that their capacity has not developed. And so we've been trying to work with mainly with the Afghan National Police Academy which is based in Kabul, and we uh, are providing them with specialized training on forensic documentation. And, and some of our members at the Afghanistan National, uh, Forensic Science Organization, they are police. Uh, so uh, we've been working closely with the Ministry of Interior and the Afghan National Police Academy to provide them constantly with forensic uh, training, especially in crime scene documentation, forensic photography, mm. and mass grave documentation. You mentioned virginity and hymen testing earlier. How has that emerged as an issue for you and your colleagues? Uh, virginity testing has been an, another issue that uh, we have encountered since we, were, we established the AFSA. And uh, we realised that... Uh, a lot of women were referred to to the forensic medicine department or uh, local hospitals uh, to go under virginity testing, what they call it, or hymen examination. Uh, that happens when uh, the woman is accused of adultery, uh, since adultery is a crime. So if anyone has sex outside of marriage and uh, authorities suspect uh, that there is an extramarital relationship, they automatically send the woman uh, to the uh, forensic medicine department or, or to a hospital sometimes to go under uh, virginity testing or wow. hymen examination. And so when, and also when women are uh, 
uh, accused of running away from home, they are also sent to uh, go under hymenal virginity testing. Mm. And what happens is that then the doctors uh, look at their hymen and based on a physical evaluation, they determine on their own process that they have that uh, if the hymen is intact or not, or there has been some uh, disturbances, they, they write in their reports that uh, we, we evaluated that the hymen is not intact and or there we saw some uh, irregularities. And then when, when that report is sent to the police and the prosecutors or the courts, they automatically uh, find the woman guilty saying that, oh, you must have had extramarital relationship if they are single. Uh, so that why your hymen is not intact, so they will be convicted uh, for adultery. So we uh, wrote a report, the Phys Physicians for Human Rights, with uh, uh, using some of our uh, experts. We wrote a report on the scientific value of this uh, hymen and virginity testing. And we concluded uh, that based on medical latest medical literature, that these hymen uh, and virginity testings are scientifically invalid, okay. meaning that if you just look at woman's hymen and uh, just looking uh, at a woman's hymen cannot tell you whether that woman had sex or not just by looking at the hymen and uh, broken hymen does not mean. Uh, or uh, changes in the hymen does not mean that that woman must have had uh, sex. So we try to tackle this issue from the scientific, scientific perspective. Yeah. And so we translated our report uh, and uh, sent it to all Afghan officials. Uh, and we had workshops for the doctors and for the officials and explaining to them the signs yeah. that we don't care we, we don't tackle that, yes, adultery is a crime, but uh, doing the examination uh, and just looking at a woman's hymen cannot prove that that woman must have had uh, definitely intercourse or not. Mm. And how did medical professionals and state professionals respond to this training? We had some good response from doctors, yeah. doctors who are working at the Ministry of Public Health, and uh, some of the officials within the government. But our main issue has been the forensic medicine department itself. Uh, and they, they are not accepting our findings, mm -hmm. and they have not been convinced uh, that what they are doing is not uh, scientific. Uh, and the, we have, we have uh, concluded that there are a variety of reasons that why they are not accepting our fundings is one that uh, they have recruited a, a group of women uh, just to do this examination. Right. And so uh, their job is to do hymen examination. And so, and those women are the ones who are been against our fundings. Yeah. So we. They lose their job. They, they lose, yeah. One of the reasons that they, we suspected that uh, why they are not convinced is they think that they might lose their job. Yeah. And also now they have a status uh, as yeah. 
uh, to have someone as an expertise in that area. Yeah. So and there has been also allegation of corruption, which we don't have any evidence, but uh, there is a lot of corruption in Afghan government yeah. uh, overall. So these are some of the reasons that we are suspected that why they are not uh, accepting our findings. But outside of the forensic medicine department, people, uh, doctors at the, uh, at the Ministry of Public Health, they they have accepted our findings. And so we have now at the moment we have uh, created a working group uh, from various government agencies and the Human Rights Commission and non-government uh, organizations uh, to advocate for a ban, for the total ban of hymen and uh, virginity testing. Mm. And we are hoping to get the, uh, the president to issue, the president or the Supreme Court to issue a directive for the police and the forensic medicine department and the hospitals mm. to not to not conduct these examinations. And have you and your colleagues faced many challenges in presenting these findings and recommendations to the religious community or to the ulama? What was surprising to us uh, was that the ulamas and the religious community are also against the virginity and hymen examination. After we have explained to them how it's done, uh, and the process that the women undergo this test, yeah. they have told us that that's, uh, that's very unreligious and mm. it uh, harms the dignity of uh, women and also it uh, causes issues in the community. Yeah. So once they have found out uh, the process of the virginity testing and hymen examination, they all show their opposition. Yeah. Uh, they are saying that uh, yeah, no one should... Uh, Accuse women that easily of uh, of uh, of a crime which is very has serious consequences in mm. Islam. Uh, so and they have, doesn't and, doesn't there need to be four witnesses? Yeah, there? and they have told us that the reason Islam has set the bar so high, uh, so no one can accuse women easily of committing adultery, yeah. and there has to be four witnesses, not just to. Uh, to committing adultery, but to the actual act of penetration okay. means that those four witnesses must have has, must have seen a couple yeah, right. uh, uh, the, during the act, yeah. and those four witnesses also have to meet a certain criteria uh, to be as credible witnesses. Mm. So, and to to have that, it's all, almost basically impossible, and. So that's why their argument is that the reason they've set the bar so high is that no one can easily accuse uh, community members, especially women, yeah. uh, to that crime which can have devastating uh, consequences, that women will end up in prison, yeah. family members might kill the woman, uh, and that woman, if you accuse someone for adultery, that she can never be, she can, might not, she probably will not, not get the chance to marry. Yeah. So it's very, the consequences are so high. Yeah. I just wanted to change direction a little bit and talk about reconstruction issues in yes. Afghanistan. 
Given the billions of dollars that have poured into Afghanistan through international donors, what kind of projects have you seen over the past eight years that you've been... It's eight years, hasn't it, been, yes. that you've been in Afghanistan? So which projects seem to be working and which, which has tend to be failing? I think after 2001, with the establishment of the new government, uh, one of the visible uh, projects that have... Uh, succeeded there were there are a few projects that uh, are visible that to have succeeded is uh, when I went back in 2008 uh, I saw a very different Afghanistan compared to the one that I was living uh, pre-2001 or yeah. during the Taliban uh, you cannot compare uh, Afghanistan pre-2001 and post-2001 during uh, the Taliban regimes, especially uh, Taliban, were, uh, as it's known uh, very well, that uh, they were uh, implementing a state of fear mm. that no one had the right to speak out against them. Uh, most of the schools were closed. There was no security. There was uh, uh, they were discriminating. Uh, against minorities, yeah. minorities such as Hazaras were massacred. Yeah. Uh, religious minorities were also forced uh, and massacred. So, and no one had the ability to speak out against uh, Taliban. But in 2008, when I went back, uh, one of uh, the, the achievements that have been there is uh, especially. The new constitutions that Afghanistan has is one of the best in the region that it uh, provides many rights for Afghan citizens. The freedom of speech is uh, one of the most successful uh, projects after 2001 that now you can have uh, your voices heard. And although there is a lot of security issues and crime, but you can speak out and communities do speak out and there's a uh, very strong uh, media in Afghanistan uh, in the education system there has been a lot of focus on the primary education and schools uh, so there are many schools um, in Afghanistan and that, that they are funded uh, but in the higher education uh, they haven't, there haven't been many uh, successful projects or that funding has not been directed towards higher education. So, and also some of the quality, they have not focused on the quality. They have mainly focused on building schools and increasing the number of enrollments. But in the quality, there hasn't been uh, so much focus. So although there has been a marked improvement in the quality of life for Afghans since the fall of the Taliban, how do you see things going if, well, as the US and its allies slowly begin to withdraw from Afghanistan? And what areas require greater focus if, in order to secure the country's um, development and security in the future? As 
since uh, the announcement of international coalition that they will withdraw from Afghanistan, there has been a lot of concerns, uh, especially in the security sector. Uh, Afghans are feeling that the government does not have the capacity to uh, to provide uh, adequate security for its citizen. Uh, and also the security forces are no are not uh, have not been trained well uh, and there's not uh, in the leadership of the government there is not the willing or the capacity to uh, to to govern so there is some concerns uh, in the community that if the international community uh, draws down and stop uh, funding Afghanistan, that the government will not have the capacity uh, to provide services, to provide security. So those are the big concerns. And also in the uh, areas where minorities are living, uh, they feel that if, uh, if the international communities are drawing down from Afghanistan, the uh, Taliban will get more strings, Taliban and other uh, groups. So as and we have seen, we have seen that in the last year or recently, that uh, districts were controlled by Taliban, uh, have fallen by the, and also uh, Kunduz last year uh, was captured by Taliban. And this year, in a few days ago, they came back to Kunduz and they are fighting in Kunduz city. Uh, so th those are the concerns that Taliban will get stronger and the Afghan government will not have the uh, will not have the capacity to provide security. Definitely a lot of concerns there. Now, unfortunately, we'll have to wrap up for today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zabi. It's been really interesting. No problem. It was a pleasure.